Yes! <clears throat> there we go. Spreading those particles, baby. Good morning, Dern Nation. COVID is over, as we have heard. I hope you're all out there kissing your homies. Mm-hmm. Kissing on the homies. COVID is not over. In fact, it's getting worse. Rubbing up. Heady pe- heavy petting. Heavy petting. Great time for heavy petting. Um, have we talked about heavy petting pool science before? No. Beg your, beg your pardon? Um, so it is a thing that you might see, particularly in the South and Midwest, at like older public pools, signs that say no petting. Because, because apparently it used to be a thing that teenagers would go to pools and like do like over the clothes stuff Just in the grind water. on each other. Yeah, and like kind of hand jobs and fingering and All stuff. Right. So they had to make signs, and a lot of pools <laughs> still have those signs because, you know, you saw the red versus blue on the map. You can, <laughs> you can go from there and assume what states still have those signs. <laughs> Yeah, us. Uh, they have signs on water fountains too, but we don't have to get into that. Us educated city folk, of course. Yeah. Heavy petting allowed. Oh, yeah. At any and all. Pools. In fact, it is required. <laughs> That's why they have Adult Swim. <laughs> For the petting. For the petting. The synchronized petting classes. Like <laughs> grandma's been doing those. Hell of a lady. Mm, still got it. You gotta keep she, that. She uh, still wears her her one piece that she she wore to the Jersey Shore in 1942. <laughs> that, uh, that Winston Churchill bathing suit. <laughs> <sighs> so I think we need to talk a little inside baseball before we get down to the dirty. Okay. <clears throat> the dirty. Um. Excuse me. Max forced me to eat very quickly before we began this recording. Some Nick little takes tiny pizza I'm a little, nibbles. Little gassy. So I have driven to basically your house two days in a row now. Okay. I've driven on Fairmount two days in a row. And I don't know what it is about the last two days, but people are just parking large trucks in the middle of the street yep. and just leaving it. Like I think maybe I just don't usually do Fairmount two times in two days. It's bonkers, considering it's essentially a four-lane road, if you count the parking lanes, that people just park a garbage truck right in the middle. That's true. And then forklifts, and then a beer truck, and then a mail truck, and then a uh, FedEx delivery truck. Yeah. I was going to say, it's always the beer truck in front of the I'm pretty sure it was the same beer truck, but at two different places, like today, yesterday and today, (laughs) and I was like, what is going on right now? Oh, man, that's what I get for driving a car, I guess. Yeah. I should Traffic, I man. should burn it I tell or ya. give it to one of those billboards that says, sell your car for angels or something. Like what Charity. Have you ever seen... Cars see- for kids? That's it, yeah. Which was a scam. Is it? There, was, there had been some serious fraud. I mean, what was even the business model? Give us your car? And what do they do with it to get money for kids, or do they just give the cars right to the kids? <laughs> I do I do not know. <laughs> Is there like a, a Make-A-Wish kid driving a uh, Lambo out there? I think the fact that they spelled cars with a K was like their loophole, that they didn't in fact have to give the C-A-R <laughs> car to anyone. Legally. <laughs> and therefore they could just junk it, strip it for parts. Huh. And maybe there were kids. <laughs> there were kids. So many kids. (sighs) Who are we? We are Legion. 
We are Dern. Oh, we are Dern. After I was, reading. We are. We're a podcast about watching all of Laura Dern's projects and features. We talk about her at some length. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Dern it again. Let's see. What's the Dern news this week? Um, hmm. Well, uh, the website Pop Sugar gave this direct quote, uh, Laura Dern is the coolest mom ever. And her what two kids are her two biggest fans. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, she's a really good mom, which I knew. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't have assumed she was a bad mom. She always plays good mom. I think you have to be a good mom. I was bad. Well, does she? Well, she can. She does. I mean, often. she almost killed Steve Martin that one time. Oh, she was. She wasn't a mom, though. <laughs> Remember when we started this podcast and oh. she was trying to kill comedic legends, and now she's just. And now she's trying to get Texas to stop killing white trash people. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, she's really, she's really transformed herself. Yeah. Dental assistant to, um, wheelchair bound author. <laughs> you you can't write that kind of stuff. Um, let's see. Today, she posted on Instagram, um, shilling skin products. Yeah, she does that from time to time. Yeah. I mean, hey, pays the bills, probably. I, I think all the, the films we've watched have paid the You'd bills. think that, but hey. Sometimes I think, like, actors must just make crazy money, and then I see how many of them are on the app Cameo, and I'm like, well, <laughs> must not be that much money out there. I get, I hate... Has Dern ever, like, actually shilled, like, in, in a commercial for something? That's a really good question that I am going to look up real quick. Laura Dern. I did just commercial. see a, a Wheat Thins ad on Instagram um, featuring Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael, who I, commercial. both of whom I love dearly, and it made me angry. Even though wheat thins are good, it's a shame that like hmm. it's something you gotta do if you wanna wanna get paid. I am not seeing any commercials that she was in. We will we will report back next week when Although, we find. Though, wait, she was in a Sun Silk nineteen ninety nine Australian commercial. Ooh. And also, technically, we could take her place, her brief, ever so brief appearance in downsizing as a commercial because she is technically hawking the product sure. of downsizing with her yes. gay husband Neil, Neil Patrick, Patrick Harris. Harris. Yes, <laughs> the only bright light in an otherwise deplorable <sighs> film. Man, you really had to watch that, didn't you? Or was it me? I, loved I don't Kate even in remember it. now. No, that was all me. Yeah, you right. Bonkers. That was a terrible movie. Yeah. Um, could have been done so much better. It's funny how they still make bad movies, isn't it? It, it shocks me. It's like, it, how'd you, how'd you fuck up this heart? But hey. Like, what went wrong? Hawaii is the gayest place to be a Marine. That's all I gotta oh, say. Oh, you said it! I did! That might be uh, our title. Last night, um, for... All of the listeners who know me, which are, I'd say, 75% of our listeners, um, the bar I work at is closing down for service for a while because of COVID. And we were all kind of saying goodbye, running stuff down, handing in keys, etc. And that came up in conversation. And Max said, too bad we're not recording. Yeah, because it'd make a good episode title. It would. We'll see if we can top it, though. 
Max, I'm pretty good at topping things, so. Hey! Learned hey. that in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, more like Hawaii five guys. Oh, yeah, five guys, yeah. Do you think they have five guys in Hawaii? Mm, I'm gonna say, yeah, there's one. Yeah. In Oahu. Oahu. Punani. Somewhere over there. But they don't do the peanut shells on the floor. It's just like fish. It's <laughs> give you a raw fish to nibble they on. They give you a whole half burger. a pineapple. <laughs> and you just chew it out and throw the skin on the ground. Uh, well, are there any other uh, bits and bobs you'd like to discuss before? No, I think we can we can dive right in. Oh, we forgot one last big piece of news. Sure. Perhaps the biggest. Happy birthday, Mickey Mouse. Oh. Yes. He aged. He has aged again. Uh, the rat. The rat king grows tired. How, how old is He's he? He's 92, I believe. Wow. It has been 92 years since Mickey Mouse was introduced to the general public. What are we going to do for his 100th birthday? Uh, In our post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. <laughs> I believe crucify him <laughs> on top of the magic castle the way he would have wanted the way he would have wanted the way Walt would have wanted it's true he's up there no he's, he's in hell what are we talking about anyway Big Dern what you got Big Dern Big I Dern. have a, Big. a film from 1985 called Smooth Talk and this is particularly notable because it is Laura Dern's very first lead role. Oh. And it was fantastic. Huh. Oh, this was so good. Um, so a, a little background here. This was a film based off of a Joyce Carol Oates short story, a very famous one that has appeared in millions of literary anthologies called Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Mm-hmm. Um, which itself is loosely inspired by there is a man named Charles Schmid in the 60s who was known as the Pied Piper of Tucson and was also a serial killer. Oh, And okay. Charles Schmid would... He he was in he was an adult, but he he ran around with teens, and he tried to put on like a cool. He would he would pin a clothespin to his lip to give him the Elvis snarl, like he was trying to be Elvis or James Dean, like cool, and it was very performative and very creepy. Huh. Um, and what compelled Joyce Carol Oates to write this story was the fact that. So some of the murders were kept secret for a long time because of these teenagers who knew about it and kept it to themselves. And it inspired her to, to look more deeply at sort of the secret lives of teenagers and sort of generational differences and who we are in the home versus who we are, say, out with friends at the sock hop. Um, Drinking soda pops down at the fountain. Yeah, while, while your grown man buddy Charles <laughs> killing your classmates. Just wearing an old stained Letterman jacket. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Smooth Talk, 1985, tells the story. It starts with, we get, we got 17-year-old Dern. Cool. Um, she plays Connie. And the film starts, it's her and her three friends, like, 
sunbathing or they fell asleep lying on the beach and like wake up and have to be somewhere <laughs> and it plays it feels like very fun and fancy free very like oh this could be just like a light-hearted fun teen comedy um and that's the tone it takes on and then they hitchhike to get a ride because they're Three blonde girls in the 80s. That's what you um, did back then. Mm-hmm. If the hotter you were, the more hitchhiking you did. Correct. That's the rule. Yeah, so the, these three 80s babes hitchhike, and it's Darren and her two friends. The one appears to be maybe a little younger, um, or at least a little more cautious. <laughs> um, and the this kind of eh, just creepy looking dude in a pickup truck pulls him up. He's like, there's only room for two, uh, two in the cab. Um, and he looks at the, the younger one, he was like, he was like, she had a boombox. He was like, hop on up, he was like, I want you hopping here next to me. And she's like, I, I don't want to. And it's just like this little hint of creep. Um, that again, while the, the music and the, the vibes are otherwise saying, this is lighthearted fun. And that's sort of our first indicator of what this movie is going to be about. Huh. Um, that ends without incident. I was gonna say, was that the dude, or was no. that just oh, there just a kind youth pastor driving through? That was just some guy. Um, then we get then it focuses really on Connie, uh, Laura Dern's character, and she has this fraught relationship with her mother. Her mom's just straight up mean. Oh, it's like the other daughter, her older sister is the the angel, the child prodigy. Um, and Laurie Duren's the the selfish fuck up, always flirting and trying to run around with boys and go shopping. <laughs> um, and her mom says to her, she says, "Look at you! I look right in your eyes, and all I see are a bunch of trashy daydreams." Oh dear God! Yeah, it's this. Um, it's this really fraught relationship. <laughs> I feel like that is either a quote from the best parenting book or the worst parenting yes, book. <laughs> absolutely. Oof. And um, that that also becomes a big theme is this this huge rift between um, Dern and especially her mother. And it's like a little not explained. Like <laughs> you're not introduced to like Dern's bad behaviors or anything at that point. It's like, oh, your mom's really mean. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say to a child. Um... But then we get into a little more about what Dern's about, and her and her friends, they, they go to the mall, they're checking out dudes, um, a lot of talk about buns, they, uh... Like hair? No, like, like tush. Oh, tush. Like the male dumper. Ah, yes. Like, look at those buns. Was that, that was a ZZ Top song, right? Tush? Or was it? Yes. Ah, good, good. Yeah. It's so weird that it the, could, the one guy buns. never grew the beard. Yeah. Why do you think? I mean, then he got to, you know, maybe he's a little wispy, didn't really have it in the beard department. I mean, after like a decade, it'd be so weird if he then grew a beard. It'd be like he gave in. Yeah. Be kind of selling out to ZZ Top. And this will come up later, but canonically, ZZ Top is the cousin of Hank Hill in the King of the Hill universe. Dusty Hill, his real name, is related (laughs) to Hank Hill. Brilliant. Anywho. We'll get back to what about Henry Hill from Goodfellas. Doesn't come up, okay. but it's possible. Sure. Uh, Hank was canonically born in New York City, so 
Really? He, yes, he oh, himself. That's like George W. Bush being born is in Connecticut. A good fella. Um, yeah, he was born in New York because Cotton was trying to kill Castro at a Yankees game, and he brought Aww. his very pregnant wife with him as a basically um, muff or cover. Because no one would suspect the man with the pregnant woman of killing Fidel Castro. That's pretty smart. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't... And one yeah. of the, like, more straightforward attempts on Fidel Castro's life. Oh, yeah, I think there was a cigar with a poison dart in it, mm-hmm. and they wound up hitting someone else, and then they ran, and he was bored in the bathroom at Yankee Stadium. Hank was. Amazing. Anyway, I'm uh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so... The, the the gals are being mall rats. They're checking out dudes. Um, Dern, Dern uh, is just got this real flirty energy. She sees some some young guy who I guess is kind of cute, and she like forces her friend, the same one who didn't want to sit with the guy, like put shoves her into him. So he hits her. The girl is clearly very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but Dern is oblivious to this. Um, and just these different encounters, we see uh, O'Turn trying to be, like, just extra coquettish. She's checking out these dudes on the escalator while she's going up and they're going down. And she, she folds over the rail of the escalator and looks at them. Like, so her head is on their side. And she's so damn tall that it's just this, like, really <laughs> pronounced sort of posture that she does. I tried to screen grab it, but it wouldn't work. Um, so you'll just have to use your imagination there. Just picture 17-year-old Dern, like, splayed over The longest 17-year-old in the world. Yes. Um, so you're telling me she was checking out Tush... Not the guys checking out their tush, or it was it a two-way street? Up there, there were that's uh, a quality that's important. At one point, like two, these two like jacked dudes get really creepy, just up there, just trying to hit on them, and it looks like they might like block their way. Um, and it's these kinds of tones where you, as the viewer, you're like you're scared for these girls. Um, but they, at least Dern especially, is kind of oblivious to the dangers that might arise, um, from such a situation, and she seems to really enjoy the, the flirtations of it all, um, but throughout this entire scene especially, it's just the, the male gaze is very pronounced, where any background, just be a couple guys in the background, and they're turning and checking out these... These three blondies. So basically, Laura Dern is the perfect victim, is what you're telling me. In some ways. <laughs> and I'll actually, I'll, I'll skip, I'll talk a little bit about, one, how I found this. This is very fortunate that I don't know that I would have been able to find a copy easily um, were it not restored by Lincoln Center and the New York Film Festival like hmm. two months ago. Oh, so convenient. I, I got to watch a Zoom talk. Featuring Laura Dern, Joyce Carol Oates, the original author, and Joyce Chopra, two Joyces, um, who directed, who wrote and directed this movie. Um, so that was cool. You can watch that on YouTube. You can rent uh, this video for $12 from the Lincoln Center website. Um, and Dern spoke specifically about how she felt, looking back on it, how she, as a real person, was in fact kind of this naive like she didn't know 
the way her character wouldn't pick up on the danger in that, she herself didn't grasp the danger or severity of these kinds of themes in the movie, which she felt lent it to, to being kind of the perfect role for her. Huh. Interesting. Laura Dern, so topical, that woman. That's true. All the time. She's got podcasts and everything. Hey, you wouldn't lore a Dern, would you? Did I send you that? I'll I'll put it on the Instagram. <laughs> you'll all you'll all see. Um so So we're at the mall. Creepy dudes, just just what happens. Um then across the street from the mall there's a like a, a hot dog a burger joint but it's like the party joint it's like oh, there's yeah. where the older kids are a lot of necking and cars Ooh, necking necking Ooh. petting for sure heavy petting necking heavy, heavy petting. light medium um, yeah um and there you know there's beer there's beer <gasps> there's and wait, wait, and, there's beer and cars oh man and my boys. mom would not let me go there um, and again, very, we get all these sort of lecherous looks from various dudes throughout. Um, and then we get the most lecherous of all, our introduction to the antagonist of this film, um, Arnold Friend, played by Treat Williams, which if you're not familiar, is a guy named Treat, which is a treat in its own right. Um, he reminds me, it feels like he's an 80s version of Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights. He's sort of like, he's sort of, he's, he's kind of hunky dude, um, broad-shouldered guy, and he's like in his 30s hanging out at an area where teens are hanging out. Huh. He sure has been in some movies. Yeah. He's the father on Everwood, as I mentioned last week. He's one of those very, like, square-headed old men now. Yeah. Like, his head is just like a perfect rectangle. Mm-hmm. A uh, strong jaw. Good for him. Strong jaw treat. Um, and so our introduction to him, while Dern is sort of at this, like, diner counter, mm-hmm. he is outside. We're seeing, so it's very voyeuristic. We're seeing through the, the glass windows, we just see the back of his head just following her walking back and forth. Interesting. And then a much more age-appropriate and likely <laughs> less likely to be some sort of rapist murder monster guy starts hitting on her. Um, <laughs> and they use... What does he say? He's like, you want, you want to go get some food? It's like sort of like, hey, let's, let's go make out in a car. Seems to be what getting food means. <laughs> Um, Mind if I grub on your burger? <laughs> so she goes off with him and um, Treat Williams. She walks right past him and he points at her and he says, uh, oh, and he's just wearing aviators. You can't see his eyes. And he Hell says, yeah. he says, I'm watching you and just like points at her and sort of gives her this weird smirk as she walks off with this guy. That feels like something the weird kid in high school would say, and to him it seems normal and okay, and then everyone else would be like, ooh, yeah. bud. <laughs> yeah, and Dern kind of brushes it off. It's like, maybe she didn't quite notice him, but he yeah. absolutely noticed she, her. She's off on the weekends helping guys with slings load 
couches in the back of their vans. That's nothing to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then she goes back the next day and there's another guy and he says he's, he's hitting on her. Um, oh, she has this really slutty halter top that she wears that's like sequined and sort of like the in-between-the-boobs part is laced up. Oh. Um, and she wears it both times she goes there, which is like... I mean, is that supposed to be the next day? Because, like, come on, you gotta change it up. Oh, maybe, I guess, maybe she did... No, yeah, because she, she goes home... Is it the same day she's just getting she's another date? Back, got another one. No, but this one, he says, he's like, you want to grab some food? And she says, I'm not hungry. She doesn't know if he's into this guy. He's being a little... Putting it on a little thick. And... He says, let's just get something then. I, I want to get what you've got. And she says, then what do I get? And he says, you'll get a fat lip if you keep this up. And it's played, like, flirtatiously. Yeah. And it's, again, the underlying themes of, like, the implicit danger in these situations. And, like, the power and coercion and threats, threats of violence that don't usually get spelled out like that. This movie is drawing attention to them maybe it's just because we're at a like a sock hop but this whole movie so far just feels like all the parts of the movie grease where you cringe yeah oh absolutely did she put up a fight like that but a whole movie yes that's that's our film um (laughs) so so then she she goes back home and we get a little more of her relationship with her mom her mom is lamenting the fact that she's grown distant and whether that's a product of uh puberty and getting older and just teenage angst um or kind of family relations um the mom this whole time laura dern seems like she's like yearning for a world beyond her home and just feels like a stranger in her own home which i think a lot of people can relate to and I think even the mom can relate to it in her own way. Um, so it's this sort of nice bit of humanity and color that they give the mother after, which is an improvement after she <laughs> says some very mean things to her daughter. Um, her father, meanwhile, is played by none other than the band's uh, Levon Helm. Yeah, I don't know he did any acting. Oh, cool. And he's great. And he it's, seems like a nice guy. It's always I mean, weird not a half bad actor. when someone like that does something. Like, when Huey Lewis is in one of the four movies he was in, yeah. like other Laura Dern feature, the other not Laura Dern one. feature, oh, not but Laura Dern this feature. podcast feature. Shortcuts. Um, Shortcuts. Robert Altman, 1993. He was also in Back to the Future. Yeah, he was. How about that? He didn't speak. <laughs> he was just there. <laughs> Um, so, Levon Helm is her father. He nice. seems to be more, <laughs> not as angry as her mom, well, uh, but also, something. like, tries to connect and, like, definitely cares about her, but just did he, to mixed results. Did he have, like, his big rock star hair, or did they, like, tame it a little? No, he's, he's just dadded out. Oh, okay. He does not look anything like a rock star. Um. Bummer. And then, so then Dern's upset because her mom's being mean, and Dern goes into her room crying, and her sister comes in, and she's like, don't, don't, don't let her know I was crying. It seems to be that even, like, showing that kind of emotion, there's just this 
vast distance she feels um, from her mother, especially. And then we get a little more into her motivations where, you know, because her, her sister's like, yeah, well, what are you doing? Always running around with boys um, and stuff. And she says, it's not what you think. I never do that, meaning sex. It's just the boys are so nice to you when we're together. I never knew it was going to be so nice. Did you ever have a boy hold you close and sing to you? Don't you know how it feels just to be held like that? So it's like, it is this really kind of wholesome sort of just wanting to be comforted, um, but obviously makes her vulnerable to someone who might have predatory desires. Uh, But it does get into sort of the draw of it all for her, where she doesn't feel like she can relate or feel close to anybody in her family. So this is, this is the way she finds um, that comfort. And, oh, and her sister calls her uh, a little bitch for saying that. <laughs> Laura Dern is not little, but otherwise it felt. So her sister didn't seem to appreciate the, the sentiment. I guess she saw it more as bragging that like, these dudes are into <laughs> Such me. Such a little bitch. She goes, I wonder if you know what a little bitch you are. You're going to have it all and you think you deserve it. Ooh. Yeah. Man. Is, I don't, why is her family so mean? What did, yeah. she, what did Laura Dern do to lead to this? I guess they saw the halter top. Oh, that halter top. Though she does wear this this cool like baseball jersey over it to hide that's pretty to hide cool. it until she gets to the mall. Classic play. Um, and then then her family is going to go to a barbecue at their aunt's house, and they'll come on, come. And she's like, I don't want to. I'm going to be a moody broody teen and just stay home. We've all been there. So she does, um, and that leads to. Um, the next 30 minutes of the film revolve around uh, our boy Treat Williams pulls up in a gold Pontiac convertible. It, it has, it says Arnold Friend on it, like hand-painted on. <laughs> it's got what I believe to be a beer can with like angel wings painted on. Uh, and then some mysterious numbers, 33, 19, and 17, which he says so, are secret code. to once again refer to Greece, this is what the kids might call a pussy wagon. Correct. Good, yes. good. Absolute wow. pussy wagon. I miss, I miss when people would paint weird stuff on cars. We don't have that anymore. It's so boring. Yeah. I want like one of those like bomber babes on my car. That would look so good on my Subaru Outback. <laughs> like a hot lady with like a wolf head leaning on a bomb or something. There you go. Yeah. And like little tally marks for all the cities I war crimes. Let's get Nick that decal. Oh no, paint. Paint. Hand We are starting a GoFundMe. Instead of supporting your local businesses, please support my endeavor. Yeah, hell yeah. Give us your money. Yeah. Um, mail it in the mail. Uh, so you th- tie to a rock, throw it through yep. Max's window. He said his address on the show before. Grab your parents' checkbook. Oh, yes, please. If, you, if your parents have any cards, just send them our mm-hmm. way. Uh, so, <laughs> along with... So, his name is Arnold Friend, is Street Williams' character, but he, uh, he has a passenger who he says is his friend Ellie. Ellie is some guy who, for most of these next 30 minutes, is dead silent. Um, and just, like, holding a radio up to his ear. 
Uh, so what we have, so it started, the entire thing is him trying to coax her, hey, come on out with me, get in the car, let's, let's go have some fun. Um, and we see why it's called Smooth Talk, where he's really, it's this James Dean energy, he is slick in a way that, like, is impressive and magnetic, Mm -hmm. but also very creepy, and he does, he's almost like slithering like the Grinch down the stairs or Ooh. like or like a Jim Carrey character this kind of very physical slapstick where this whole scene Dern's standing outside the car he's, he's at first he's in the car and he's like oh did you see my decals and he bends folds his body all the way over and he's like looking at the, the outside of his car from the driver's seat and like these really sort of emotive moves gets out and sort of sways and moves around the car and slinks uh, definitely some slinking energy. Tree Williams' performance, absolute stunner. Hmm. Um, and few, few people know that uh, most serial killers are very adept at physical comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, John, John Wayne Gacy was a clown. There you go. It's true. And Charles Manson, quite a contortionist. They oh. found him in a tiny cabinet. <laughs> and they only opened the cabinet because his hair was sticking out. And then he sang off a string of gibberish as he was taken into custody. That's our guy. Ah, we love Chuck. <laughs> so, so, a friend, and he's, he's trying to be, he's basically trying to gaslight the hell out. Which again, we see these themes of just these uncomfortable, coercive situations that women can find themselves in. Um, he, he, he's like, he shows up unannounced. Obviously, he knows her name. He rattles off names of all her friends, first name, last name, and she's starting to get a little nervous. And she's like, "My dad's gonna be home any minute." And he's like, "No, you're, no, he's not. Like, you're, he's at he's at the barbecue." 11 miles away. He says, right now. He, like, stares off into the distance like he can see it. Hmm. He's, like, he's like, right now, your, your mom's shucking corn with a fat woman? She's like, what fat woman? He's like, I, I don't know every fat woman. <laughs> Which felt like this weird little bit of humor in That's, the middle of this. <laughs> I hate to laugh, but that is kind of hilarious. Yeah, I chuckled. Um, and so he's like, it's super creepy, but he's he's trying to gaslight her and pretend it's not. He's like, his license plate says a friend. And he's like, that's all I'm trying to be, Arnold Friend. I'm a friend. And I will take care of you. And she asks, she says like, how old are you? And he goes, that's crazy to ask. Yeah. And it's not crazy to ask because he's 34. If we're doing in real life at this point, during 17, Treat Williams is 34. Not crazy at all to ask, uh, but he's just trying. He's just trying to smooth talk, um, and then he says, "She's." He can tell she's afraid. He's like, "What are you afraid of? Like getting wind in your hair?" Like, no, that's not what she's afraid of, dude. She's afraid of your creepy rapist ass. Um, so, so. She and again, this is thirty minutes. So first, it's her the sort of dance outside the car. Um, then she retreats in, and she's like, "No." She closes the screen door. She locks it. And he's like, "What's that lock even gonna do?" <laughs> and like, she unlocks it at that point. Um, she, and then he he basically says, "She's like, I don't want to go with you," and he's like, "Well, imagine." 
He was like, what do you mean you don't want to go with me? Like, if your house was on fire right now, you'd run right out here into my arms. And it's this weird fucking threat. And he, like, threatens, like, if your family was in there and your house is on fire. He he's gets really sick with his threats. Um, huh. And at the same time, he's trying to be smooth, but he's saying... So he gives this one... One little soliloquy that I will read in full. I'm your lover. You don't know what that is, but you will. I know that too. I know all about you. Hey, it's real nice. And you couldn't ask for nobody better than me or more polite. I always keep my word. I'll hold you so nice and tight that you won't need to think about anything or pretend anything. You won't even want to get away, even if you're scared. Hell, everybody's scared the first time. That's why I'm so specially nice. I come along just when you need a friend, and I'll come inside you where it's all secret, and I'll whisper sweet things. And then she cuts him off, and she's like, this isn't normal. You're not saying normal <laughs> stuff. That's when she retreats inside. Whew. Yeah. That was gets, a lot. Yeah. And... <laughs> Remind me to isolate you saying that for something else. <laughs> <laughs> Nick can play when he's lonely at night? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, he said, oh, another great creepy throwaway line. Your hair is nice and shiny and all for me. No. no. <laughs> oh, God. Man, he really, he, he was doing such good smooth talk, and then he really beefed it on that last bit Yeah, he bit was there. like, so, then he steps up this, like, straight up, um, he's trying to, like, coax her with the, like, I get you and your family doesn't. She says... That's the bravest girl in the world. They're all cooking corn and hot dogs over the fire. They don't know a damn thing about you and never did. So he's trying to just like isolate her and play into he's, her own her own emotions. He's really laying it on thick. And then then we get so then she kind of huddles back into into the hallway and now he's at the front door and she she has a phone there. And this is the only time Ellie the, the passenger speaks up and he says, he says, um, he's like, you want me to pull the phone cord? Like, you want me to make it so she can't call the cops? Um, and he, he just gets really angry and starts yelling, like, I got this, I can handle it, like, stay in the car. Um, and so then with these threats, she decides, okay, I'm gonna go with you. And it feels like she's making a sacrifice, like she's doing, she's like, crossing some point of no return kind of to spare her family from whatever horrors might befall them um and they leave ellie in her house and we just get a shot of him like looking through shit listening to her records and it's just some <laughs> random guy it's, um, uh... and so she gets in and she's very scared and all we get is just the sh- shots of them sort of driving on some some roads, and he drops her off um, at home, and he says, uh, it, he was like, see, that was it, just a little drive, no big deal, and she says, like, I don't ever want to see you again, you understand, um, and we don't know what actually happened, but, like, certainly plausible that he raped her somewhere um and she 
she lies to her sister. So now her family's back. They're like, where have you been? She's like, oh, it's just out for a walk. It's fine. But she gives her mom a big hug. Um, and she lies to her sister and says, like, I didn't even go. Like, nothing happened. Everything's fine. Um, but we see this kind of... She, she now leans on her family for this support in the closing of the film. Ellie is still in the living room, just <laughs> sleeping on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> bag, bag of peanuts <laughs> opened on his lap. <laughs> on his stomach. <laughs> he's, like, he's shucking them into his mouth and just throwing the shells. <laughs> Who's your friend? Yeah. Mom's setting a, a place for him at the dinner table. <laughs> And, but so it ends with um, oh, man. her and her sister talking in a room and they're listening to the song Handyman by James Taylor, which is a lovely song and also seems to be a guy who's just trying to smooth talk the ladies, um, huh. which is interesting. Uh, just the guy, I'm, I'm your handyman, I'll fix you, I'll make you better, I'll take care of you. Um, and she dances. She asks her sister, do you want to dance? And they, like, slow dance together. And it's now her getting that intimacy that she felt she didn't have from her family. Now she's, she's doing that now that she's crossed some, some personal bridge and loss of innocence. Um, and that's how the film ends. It is notable the short story does not end that way. The short story ends with she gets in his car. And that's the end. And Joyce Chopra on this um, this Zoom session says, she said, you know, I read that that was our original plan was to go with the, the short stories ending. And she's like, but me and my husband, who she wrote it with, uh, we just couldn't we just couldn't do that to her. Like we were we were too attached to the character. We needed to like put a bow on it and make it a little better. It was too heartbreaking for that huh um and yeah so it was fantastic it's this one part Joyce Carol Oates describes it as a realistic allegory which I like it, it is Hawthornian you know Nathaniel Hawthorne Scarlet Letter romantic shading into parable um she describes it as an innocent young girl is seduced by way of her own vanity she mistakes death for erotic romance of a particularly American slash trashy sort. <laughs> um, and she also notes what she loved about the movie, because the movie sort of added in more of this flavor of these are her friends, they go to the mall, these are the types of things they do. She says the girls claim their true identities in the neighborhood shopping mall. What freedom, what joy. Um, so it really does a wonderful job of it feels timeless in the way that, like, it could have been the 50s, it could have been the 80s, like, um, that, that sort of teenage angst and rebellion, um, and the timelessness of, like, there being predatory, lecherous dudes lurking in the shadows. Um, and I really loved it. It was one of the best I've watched. Um, Dern, again, her first, this is her first lead. They, they talked about how this... They, um, Tree Williams, was, you know, he was a, an established actor. He was their star. They did everything around him and sort of found Dern almost happenstance 
last minute and was just the perfect person to play Connie. And both of them were were unreal. Were so, so good. It is haunting and poignant and beautiful and sad and great. Huh. Now, I don't want to give the cops of the time period between, like, 1985 and 1995 much credit, because, you know, they let, um... Rodney King and what have you. They did that. They let, um... What's his face? Um, Ted Bundy, he escaped twice under their care. Mm -hmm. Um, They gave a screaming naked Asian boy back to Jeffrey Dahmer. They... Drugged up. True. They they fudged a lot of things, but I like to think... That they probably could have found this man whose license plate was a friend and had a car painted with incredibly specific things. Yes. Like, um, I, yeah, I don't know. There are, so there's a lot of sort of deliberation around the themes. I remember I actually read this short story in a high school English class, and we talked about the theme that he is the devil. Um, Fair enough. Which makes sense, right? That he, he appears to be evil incarnate. And I think that's where it's sort of right realistic allegory where maybe right he could be just a genuinely real creepy guy or perhaps something darker and more sinister than than even just a regular shitty person some sort of existential monster Hmm. um and yeah some it's interesting those three numbers 33 19 17 he says, this here is a secret code. We never learn what they mean. I was thinking about that when you said it. You, you Like, that's it? You never do? Yeah, like, there... Huh. So I was reading about it. There's the theory that, like, he's 33, and maybe his victims up at this point are 19 and 17. Okay. Um, right, you can get real numerological that's, with it. But something. but it's left it's left unknown, right? There, there aren't clear definite answers to this well maybe maybe when they were out on the ride he took her to like a clearing and like got her out of the car and like explained it and then when they got back she was like that was lame i never yeah, want to see you again i never want to see you again yeah come on man that dumb number stuff uh, it's your mom's Dork. birthday douche I thought you were hot <laughs> i liked your buns but man you ain't doing it yeah, for me anymore turns out you're a real weirdo weirdo drop me off at the mall will ya <laughs> i need to meet my girls that was that was kind of heavy. Sounded like a good movie though. Yeah, I will it check was that one really out. Really great. Nice. Ah, oh, I don't know if I can compete with that. What's next? Um. Well, what's between oh, your derns? Between my friend? derns. Well, let me start out by saying uh, to our listening public: if you hear any construction noises, that is simply we're having the studio uh, redone this week. It's true. And we didn't want to. We had to put off recording a few days. We didn't want to put it off any further. This, of course, is all being paid by this week's sponsor, uh, Grenadine Wild Sea Salt, for which Max is wearing a shirt for. That's true. It's would, my friend's dad's. Uh, would, would you like to salt do, company in the Caribbean? There you are. Do the ad. If you want fancy sea salt that tastes very good, uh, check out Grenadine Wild Sea Salt. Yeah, they pull it right out of the sea, bucketfuls. I mean that it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that is how you get salt. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's quite an operation. Huh. He sort of retired down to the Caribbean and lives this awesome life and was like, hey, I'm just going to start a salt company. I just imagine an old man on a plane, like, going to the Caribbean to live there. He has no plan. He doesn't know what he's going to do when he gets off the plane. And he's just looking at, like, the tray table. And there's a packet of salt left there from his in-flight meal. And he's just looking at it and fiddling with it in his fingers. <laughs> and then he looks out the window and just, like, to himself softly says, what if? 
just looking over the ocean. <laughs> a gold. He looks at the packet and out the window his like dollar three dollar signs in his eyes. I'll be rich. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what's between. No, <laughs> that's all I got this week. Um, well, as it is starting to be that uh, sad, sad, cold, dark time of year. Yeah, I sadder s- than most. Um, last year, I was quite sad. Which now I feel silly for having saved all. I feel silly blowing my depression wad last year when I could have been out doing things, and now this year I feel relatively okay, but I can't do anything. Um, So last year I watched like Cheers and then Frasier, good time, good sad shows. This year I decided I'm going to do something different, so I've started Shit's Creek, a popular um, television show among people. It's true. Has some good queer themes. It's pretty nice. It has. The, strong Canadian it, themes It has as well. some strong eyebrows yes. with the Levy family. Um, Levy. Levy. Sorry. Sorry, I forgot he's your neighbor. Um, but yeah, it's a really good show. I love Catherine O'Hare. She's a insane O'Hara. woman. I don't care. This with everybody's name. She is a famous bad mom, and I love her. Yeah. She's never played a good mom, has she? Home Alone, Home Alone, Alone 2, Beetlejuice. Um, she was the mom of the rich kids in Adam's Family Values. Oh, that's right. She was, of course, in this. She's a bad yeah. mom, but she does it I very well. Was she ever a mom in, like... Although you could argue in Home Alone, she's a very good mom because she then puts herself through hell to get back to her son that she forgot. And she hangs out with John Candy. But then again, as we have discussed before on this show, I believe... Um, Yes, last a few weeks ago we discussed um, saving someone from a problem you cause doesn't make you a hero. Yeah, it makes you better than not doing that. Yeah, it's definitely good, but it's not great. Yes. Oh wow, but yeah, big fan. Um, it's like the my ex my who gave me the back the very backhanded compliment that you're very good at apologizing. <laughs> now that feels so what like can I say? I'm that feels talker. like something that could be in Shit's Creek. So. <laughs> Shit's crazy. I wish I had more complex things to say about it, but I'm a little sleepy, and uh, everyone's seen it. Go watch yeah, it if you haven't. It's fun. It's a good show. Um, at some point that Nick has not yet arrived to, um, a rendition of a Tina Turner song will make you cry, and it's beautiful, and I love it. I have not gotten there yet, but I, I am excited you will. for it. Ah, oh, man. Living in a little town. Like I'll be Wednesday through Sunday. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, oh. if you're going for a home for Thanksgiving, get tested and don't yeah, see your grandma don't go, or don't go home. Like, let, let's just wait a few months. Yeah, we'll have Thanksgiving we have next year. We'll double up on Thanksgiving. We'll have double Thanksgiving next year. Two turkeys. <laughs> One turkey inside of a bigger turkey. Aww. A tur- turkey. A tur-turkey. Tur-turkey. <laughs> um, another thing I do need to discuss at length, um... When I was but a lad, in his mid to early teens, I would go to a little restaurant called the Scorecard Bar and Grill in Windgap, Pennsylvania. Hit on blondes, ask them for food. No, no. We would go on Wednesday nights for trivia. It was like a national trivia league that was like, like put out to all the bars that would accept it. Sure. We did it there. And there was always, it was always the guy that owns the scorecard, forget his name, and then he had his friend does like, he would do the announcing and the DJing and like stuff like that. And it was always them, as long as I can remember. And from there I heard a song, um, I believe it was Down With The Sickness 
by a Mr. Richard Cheese. And that began a love affair with me that has ebbed and flowed throughout the years. Right now we are on a major flow. Um, I have introduced the entire kitchen staff at my main weekday job to Richard Cheese, and they're all a big fan. And if you are a fan of Richard Cheese, please, please um, stay seated. Don't get too excited. Um, he came out with a new album this year called Numbers of the Beast, and it is just... It's okay. I'm, it's not fantastic. I think his earlier albums are better. It's pretty cool because it does have um, little interstitials from a live Las Vegas show that he did within COVID times. So it's just him making COVID jokes. And um, it's pretty good. He covers a few old classics. Um, he does like Eye of the Tiger. Then he hits some new stuff. He does Bad Guy, which I enjoyed. Old Town Road, which was okay. He also, as a single, released a version of WAP, which I think is utterly fantastic. Nick, send me this. It is so good. my ears won't stop bleeding. It's fun. This is an affront to humanity. Um, I think it's better than the original because you really... I think when a man is talk-singing the words, you really hear them more. Like, I never really... I never... The the two words, Punani Dasani, never really imprinted on me until I heard Richard Cheese say them, and I was like, oh. Yeah, and we haven't quite described his music, but I'd say he's like a a dollar store Tom Jones. He is a lounge singer who covers... You heard me. um, Dirty songs, I would say. And now, like... Dirty and Obviously, I hear Richard Cheese, and it instantly evokes the thought of Dick Cheese. Now that... I assume is intentional that, because this yes. guy's awful. There is, in fact, one of his songs. I forget which album it is from, but it ends with he did it live on, I believe, Jimmy Kimmel, and then it, it cuts. It, there's like applause from an audience, and then Jimmy Kimmel saying, "Ah, ladies, go crazy for this, Richard Cheese." And I just I know it's there every time. So whenever I listen to it with new people, I always say it like. In the in between space, and then Jimmy Kimmel says, and they look uh, at me like, "Whoa!" Uh, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm pretty good." Uh, there is one song. Oh, what was it? I think it's called "Vegas on My Mind," where it's something he wrote, and it's just a song about Las Vegas and how he like compares his everyday life to Las Vegas, and it's very fun because he like basically lives there full time, and it's just like I don't know how to describe it, but he's like, uh, yeah. I can't really play it because then we'll get a cease and desist. But it's a good song. Richard Cheese, great guy. Go listen to him. Oh, he did Or a, don't do any of those Yes, things. or don't. He did a version of um, Today Was a Good Day. Big fan of that. Today Was a Good Day. Um, by Ice Cube. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. All right. So yeah, that's all I got between my derns. Shit's Creek, Richard are, Cheese, and uh, Grenadine's Wild Sea Salt. If you find yourself just being irony poisoned and all you can consume... <laughs> is just tongue-in-cheek novelty, um, then please, check out Dick Cheese. Um, I only listen to novelty music, thank you very much. Yeah, you're irony poisoned. Yes, I am. Yeah. Who's, um... Whole generation who's that, uh... Who's that fella? The Weird Al, but he's Jewish. Um... Feels like it should be Weird Al. Hello... Like, I know Weird Al's not Jewish, no, but it feels like... Uh, Hello Mudder, he- Hello Mudder, Hello Fire. Oh, uh, yeah, Green Acres... Guy is is he? Isn't that? I thought he was a musician. Or, or not Green Camp? Isn't that called Green Acres? What? Hello, Mada. Hello, Fada. No, it's oh, no, a no, song about Hanukkah. What are you talking about? Isn't it? No, it's about a camp. I don't know what you're. No. Camp town it's not Green Acres. ladies sing this camp song. Do da. Ladies, I, races, races.
Races? Camptown. Well, maybe just Camptown ladies. I don't know. Oh, it's I did. That artist I guess has come up twice. The there's a... Old Stephen Foster, the, the godfather of the minstrelry. That is called something. Um... 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 That is called... Oh, Alan Sherman is his name. That's it. It's a letter from camp. Um... Oh, yeah, it is from camp. Well, you win this one. Yeah. It's, he's writing a letter home. Um... Oh, what is that thing that I wanted? Camp it... Granada. That's the Oh, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is when you, like, hear something or see something and then, like, you see it everywhere. Or, like, a very specific thing. Like that. Sure. Or, like, if we were to talk about, I don't know, Angela Davis. Yeah. And then if you, like, opened up your phone and there was just, like, an article about Angela Davis, you'd be like, Bader-Meinhof. Or if when I disrobe this evening, I find out that I've got a little bit of dick cheese. Maybe. Or you find out you got an Angela Davis tattoo last night. Oh. That'd be a cool tattoo. Okay. It'd be a little weird on you, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Love the lady. Um, so what's between your turns, bud? Let's see. Let's see. Well, I, as you saw, I'm rereading my favorite novel of all time. Captain Underpants. Captain Underpants. <laughs> Uh, by John Steinbeck, <laughs> formerly titled East of Eden. Um, and I just restarted it. It was my read about a decade ago, and hardly remember a thing except that I've never loved a book more. So it's really exciting to re enter that space. Um, have you ever read any Steinbeck? I think I fiddled with The Grapes of Wrath once, but I didn't finish it. He is. That's one of the tougher ones. That and East of Eden are kind of his epics, so to speak. Um, every every paragraph is just like a perfectly crafted painting, and it's hundreds of pages of these. It it's, it's the kind of writing that I read and just get filled with joy and like, and impressive. It's so impressive. It's like, how did one man manage to structure these beautifully? Like, I don't know if there's anyone who better evokes like feeling like a sentence is completely perfect than John Steinbeck does and he has just this beautiful way with words and to don't just take my word for it I'm going to read a letter that he wrote to you yep back when I was Miss Marilyn Monroe living Whoa. in the Waldorf Towers this is on John Steinbeck's stationery. It's a letter he wrote to Ms. Monroe in 1955. Dear Marilyn, In my whole experience, I have never known anyone to ask for an autograph for himself. It is always for a child or an ancient aunt, which gets very tiresome, as you know better than I. It is therefore with a certain nausea that I tell you that I have a nephew-in-law who lives in Austin, Texas, whose name is John Atkinson. He has his foot in the door of puberty, but that is only one of his problems. <laughs> you are the other. I know that you are not made of celestial ether, but he doesn't. A suggestion that you have normal functions would shock him deeply, and I'm not going to be the one to tell him. On a recent trip to Texas, my wife made the fatal error of telling John that I had met you. He doesn't really believe it, but his respect for me has gone up even for lying about it. 
Now I get asked all kinds of for all kinds of silly favors, so I have no hesitation in asking one of you. Would you send him, in my care, a picture of yourself, perhaps in pensive, girlish mood, inscribed to him by name and indicating that you are aware of his existence? He is already your slave. This would make him mine. If you will do this, I will send you a guest key to the ladies' entrance of Fort Knox, and furthermore, I would like you very much. Yours sincerely, John Steinbeck. Oh, man, that was the coolest thing I've had read to me in quite a while. It's just an absolute joy. That is so fun. I love that. (sighs) Chills. Yeah, so if you want more writing like that, though at times less funny and more deeply tragic... um, So how do you think he got the key for the ladies' entrance to Fort Knox? Oh, Steinbeck? Yeah. He, um... Did he, like, win a, like, a, like a cakewalk or something? a lot of people win <laughs> a cakewalk. Yeah. I won a watermelon once at a cakewalk. Huh. Yeah. That feels... I mean, cakewalks, I feel like there's, like, a racial history. You know, I don't know if racist... People have told me I, that I recall before. there being some sort of racial something. I was just in a church parking lot walking in a circle till the music stopped. Did a white man with a black painted face hand you a watermelon? No. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was no black face. Is this one the, the proud boy sort of no. germination? Just because I am wearing seat. a Hawaiian adjacent shirt Ooh, does not mean I am not. Don't use that word. <laughs> I am but a farmer. These are my crops. Nick is wearing a a button-down short sleeve shirt with lots of fruits and artichokes or some veggies. Blueberries, some purple onions. It's wacky. It's goofy. It's a wacky Got, shirt. Oh, those are artichokes. I'll be damned. Beans, pink beans. This episode brought to you by Pink Beans. Pink Beans. Buy them in the can. <laughs> <laughs> um Anyhow, John Steinbeck. Hell, if, if, hell of a if guy. you do want to if anyone wants an intro to Steinbeck, if you want to start with something easier, um, Cannery Row is one of my faves, and hmm. it's basically a love letter to these like lower class, um, just <laughs> somewhat criminal um, people in Monterey, California, and he he has this beautiful ability to to really humanize and um, highlight, yeah the. The humanity in everyone and that's one where it's very fun and light and just sort of this this just lovely little story about these wacky characters Hmm. i will look into that yeah um and beyond that i don't know what else is between my durans they i haven't uh haven't had a chance to consume much other media at this point um so we'll leave it at that read some fucking steinbeck yeah. No one better. Well, I guess that's it for this week. Oh, we, not so fast. We laughed, we cried, we learned something about ourselves, and we became our own best friends, and that's all you really can do in this mad, 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 mad world. Those more mads than... If you embellished the madness. Listen, slightly. there is plenty of mad to uh, go around. I say as they slap a 1995 issue of Mad on the table, featuring an Orithal James Simpson pog gag on the cover. <laughs> Which really dates it perfectly. Uh, 
I the one thing I do love about Mad is the price gag has been a gag for the entire run of the magazine. It has never not said what does it say? Cheap after Cheap. the price. Yes. It it has gone from like 49 cents, I think near the end it was almost $5 for an issue and it always said cheap exclamation point afterwards. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I had a little turn this week. Yep. Another Showtime original anthology series. This one called Fallen, sorry, Angels Fallen. I now realize I neglected to look into the backstory of this. The episode I watched was definitely Nuari. And I don't know if they're all Nuari, but with a name like Angels Fallen, I can only imagine that's probably the case. The show. Yes, Angels Fallen. This specific episode is called Murder Oblique. Um, Let me set the stage for you. September 19th, 1993. I was not born. Max was probably in his room reading a Steinbeck book. (laughs) The network is Showtime. Your parents pay extra for this and you're not allowed to watch it. (laughs) We, We begin... Union Station, where you think, you think you're in New York, but nay nay, you are in Los Angeles' famous Union Station, where where you can get a bus. I mean, it's probably not in your top ten places to visit. I like Union Station. It's lovely. I mean, it's fine. I don't know, man. I just, I was all excited for a New York story, and then it was very clear by the palm trees that we were not in New York, and I was like, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. It's we got so we got a black and white opening. It is very noir heavy. Um, I do not know if every episode opens like this. I can only assume it does. There is a woman who we never see again. Um, she is smoking cigarettes. There's a lot of Dutch angles. There's like whole whole burnt ashed cigarettes just like sitting in a tray. We see her like in negligee, and then um, there are lockers in the bus station which are clearly in 1993. But it's filmed and looked as if it were the 40s or 50s, which sure. kind of took me out I of the I believe that those lockers are featured in uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, if I recall correctly. I have never seen it, but... Oh, it's hilarious. I will take your word for it. Um, she's going on this little thing. She's, like, putting a thing in a locker, and there's a pool of blood, and she's, like, there with her tits out, and she's, like, killing somebody is easy. And she's, like, staring right into the camera, and she says this thing... I don't even know about, like, curiosity and, like, want and all that stuff. Really just noir dribble. Yeah, just just femme fatale. Exactly. And then we snap out of the black and white. We're into the color. Um, It's the 50s or 70s, maybe? It's not really clear. Um, We have Laura Dern and Alan Rickman back together again. I say again because, of course... The King of the Hill episode, Joust Like a Woman, featured both of these guest stars, Richard, um, uh, sorry, Alan Rickman as the king, and Laura Dern as a wench in the medieval times fair park. I said that very well, and I'm proud of myself. You did. Well done. Let's let's take a moment, give Nick a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Wave, wave of admiration sweeps over me. (sighs) <sighs> Laura Dern's got big hair, she's got like a cool like Asian print dress on, and she's clearly in love with Snape, which is what I'm going to call him for the rest of this. Yep. Um, and like, it's kind of unclear what their relationship is. Um, they're like, she's at his house, and they're like drinking martinis, and like she accidentally 
put like throws a half done cigarette into her martini and she's just like <laughs> oops and then snape takes it away to make a new one or whatever and then laura dern is in like another like the i guess the powdering room because old houses had weird rooms for ladies to do lady things in yeah. fainting couches etc and her friend is like for a woman who's so careful you really threw that cigarette in that drink they're just it's <laughs> you dumb bitch i like i so much of the dialogue of this really washed over me because like it's, it's just so dumb and pointless and i so they're like talking and then they go back in oh there's she's in the part the woman's room for woman stuff and she sees she sees this perfume and she's like this belongs to his ex-wife and she's like sniffing it and she's like it smells like a whore she doesn't say that but that's implied um She's very angry. From this point on, Dern is the most angry I've seen her ever, I think. Really? She's angry, jealous, pushy. She They really paint her as not a good person. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So she's very jealous. Um, and then this woman, like, comes to the house, and she's there. And, like, at first, I think Laura Dern doesn't know very much about Snape, because, like, she's like, Oh, that's her. And they, like, kind of kiss on the cheek, and then we realize they're divorced, which she didn't know. I think she just thought he was seeing a woman. He, okay. he is, we find out he is seeing his ex, who is now married to someone else. And that's the other woman. Yes. The non-Dern. Yes, the non-Dern. Let it be known that Dern is in by no means in a relationship with Snape at this point. She is just insanely jealous and lusting after him. As one does for Mr. Rickman. And then um, this ex, like, they have a few drinks, a few laughs. Laura Dern's just, like, angry, staring daggers at her the whole time. And then um, she gets... By the way, let me just say, um, for a thing that is 30 minutes long, I think it is very ill-advised to throw in a weird, like, love trapezoid. Like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think there's time to elaborate on... A woman who has no relationship with a man but loves him, who has a relationship with his ex-wife, who is also in a marriage with another man. Like, that is just... It's too much. So much. And, um, so she's getting ready to leave, and she's asking the butler for her coat. And Alan Rickman says, I bought that coat for you, I'm keeping it. And she's like, you're a dick, give me my coat. And he says... No, you can come back and get it another time. So then she proceeds to rip off her jewelry and throw it at him. I'm assuming all of this is a gesture that he probably bought it all at some point. And then she rips off her dress and, um, va-va-voom. She is just wearing a crazy boob Elvira, like, old-timey undergarment. Hell yeah. And it's... A bustier. Yes, a bustier, exactly. And, um, so she just... And then she walks out, she leaves. <laughs> Which, you know, she made a statement, I suppose, mm -hmm. by angrily stripping and throwing said objects. It was like a very mad burlesque number with no music. <laughs> um, where even are we? Uh, Laura Dern is unraveling at this point. It's like the next, it's later that evening. She goes back to Alan's house because she forgot her keys and she's just like super forcing herself on him. And she's like, oh, you're not alone. I'll leave. And he's like, come in. Yeah. And then he's like, would you like a drink? And he makes drinks and he's sitting like on another piece of furniture. And she's like, you could come a little closer. And he does, but very reluctantly. Like this whole time, it just feels like, like when you have a friend over and you really don't want them there. And yeah. you're just like, oh, can we just speed this along? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this 30 minutes was the most exhausting of my life. Uh, oh, and then uh, Laura Dern proposes. <laughs> 
She, they are sitting on the same piece of furniture, and she proposes. And he laughs a little, which is fair, because yep. a crazy woman he has no relationship with just proposed marriage. And then she says something like, when a woman proposes marriage, you at least meet her on her own level. I don't know what that means, but... Everyone knows that. I, that old I, I guess it just means don't laugh at a woman, a crazy lady, when she proposes to you. <laughs> And, uh, and then I think she's, like, storming out because she's mad, which... Again, does she do the same stri- strip? No, <laughs> she does she, she does not angrily strip, but, like, she's just, like, storming out, which I guess, if she didn't do any of the things she did before this, would make sense. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> if she had just proposed sincerely and he was laughing, that would have been fine. Sure. But all of the stuff that played her up to be... A crazy broad, as I saw in one of the IMDb reviews. Um, so she's storming out, and then she sees a robe, like on a chair, and then she runs to the bedroom and grabs the knob. And um, so it's very clear that the ex-wife is there. Alan Rickman is still sleeping with her, and she is going to like rip open the door and be like, "Ha ha!" Oh. Yes. Which really, uh-huh, she's the guy I'm interested in is seeing someone else. <laughs> The guy I am, I let me be clear, it. not dating, <laughs> is seeing a woman who's not me. <laughs> and there's this stare off where like Dern is like just like angry and Alan Rickman is like just standing there pretty casually and he's like, leave my house. Something like that. And then she, she finally put, takes her hand off the door. She skulks off. Fast forward, Laura Dern is just like at her, I guess she lives with her parents or something. She's at a house. And somebody is saying offhand, like, oh, I hear that Bernadette lady went missing. Terrible shame. Everyone's real torn up about it. And at this point, I have no idea what's happening. I don't know if Laura Dern killed her. I don't know if Alan Rickman killed her. And then we see, like, Laura Dern in a, in a nice little robe. Her hair is a little wet. And we hear a knock on the door. It's Alan Rickman. And he basically proposes to her. <laughs> a, a very strange turn and he he like mirrors the same thing she said like when you, she's like i want you to marry me you know when a man proposes marriage you've got to meet him on his level which i guess when someone says crazy bullshit like that to you you have to say it back oh, right back and she's like fiddling with the lock like do i let him in do i not much like your thing and then she has this little soliloquy she's saying to herself as we like kind of like go between like alan rickman door lock her face alan rickman door lock her face um, she refers to him as her last love. Don't know what that means. Like he's, she, there's an, right before she opens the door, she's like, that's when I saw him. Not my first love, but my last love. And this, this will never get, that we never grow on that. Like we never, yeah. we don't learn that maybe Lord Dern got murdered too, or like maybe whatever, nothing, just last love. Do we, do we find out conclusively that she killed Bernadette? No. Um, so he proposes, he probably killed Bernadette is what I gather from this. Cause she says to herself as she's contemplating, do I let him in? Did I wonder about her about that night? A little bit, but not for long. After all, the people, you know, never do things like that. And that's it. That's it. We cut. That's the end of the episode. Okay. She, I think she goes on to say like only people you read about do stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was the biggest waste of my time. <laughs> I'm, so I'm no noir expert, but yeah. I, under, I, I understood the, the femme fatale trope oh, yes. to be, 
right, about sort of power and seduction and sort of, right, flipping, giving women agency through seduction, uh, which is complicated, but not, like, flatly bad. Yeah. Um, But this seems like it's treating that trope as just, like, oh, complete hysteria. I mean... obsessive madness. Yeah, it's... Like, I mean, I just remember now that we have done a noir film featuring Laura Dern. Yeah. The, uh, with Lonely Heart Killers? Yeah. Something like that? Lonely, Lonely Hearts. And that was pretty good movie. Yeah. Compared to this, it was fucking fantastic. Yeah, so it sounds like trash. It, yeah, they tried to put ten pounds of noir in a five pound bag, and it just didn't work well. Like, it was, there was so much missing, and it was just like, it, like, the whole story can be broken down to, like, Laura Dern loves a man. This man loves someone else. Man kills someone else. Man loves Laura Dern. That's it. See, I, I prefer Laura Dern killing. And I, I was. That's what I was gunning for. I that was, at least like all the pieces fit together. Though. Like I was expecting Laura Dern to kill both of them at one point, and then I was like, oh, she just killed her, and then it's very clear Alan Rickman did it, and it like it just seems so lacking. Like, I want to watch other episodes of this to know if all of them are like right. this. Was that just what the show was? And I remember you had mentioned um, the director of this specific episode has gone on to, like, do some... Alfonso Cuaron! He's done notable things, and I just wonder, like, what? Oh, yeah, why? He's, he's directed Snape himself yeah, in, in he, one of the Harry Potter. My word, this might be why. Maybe. Probably not. I don't think, yeah, I don't think the he did first the casting. Um, <laughs> he wrote Y tu mamá también. Si, si. And he did this trash. Oh, yeah, not good. Um, don't watch it. I would say um, anything else. Just <laughs> watch something else. Watch The Lonely Hearts again. Yeah. Watch my thing. <laughs> watch oh, yeah, you know, thing. what am I saying? Watch next. It is weird how those are like, those are those dovetail in such a weird way. You were just, when you were going in length about yours, I was like, wow, it's weird how like, they're so related and yet so somehow like so polar opposites. <laughs> <Yes>. Somehow Laura Turn <laughs> becomes the friend, yes. a friend in this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's just played as such like a hysterical, jealous, like uh, like lusting beyond the point of reason woman. And I was like, that just seems so weird. But then again, yeah. it is literally like a throwaway and, 30 minutes of her career. Like. And deeply unattractive. So we are to believe that like Alan Rickman... Like, after this whole scene, like, it must have been because she stripped and did that whole number. He was like, yeah, we'll kill this broad because that's the one for me. Like, I don't get why he would have any sort of attraction to to go after her. Yeah, I mean, I think it's implied that he is conti- he had never stopped seeing her, even though they got divorced. But, and like, I don't mean to get all nuts and bolts, uh, gross guy stuff about this, but like, his ex was pretty hot. I don't Diane know. Lynn. Yeah. She's a real hottie. And she, you know, she was all vava-voomed out. And, I mean, it didn't seem like their relationship was... I mean, it definitely had some bumps, as shown by the coat incident. But, you know, as as for a rich person affair, it seemed like things were going pretty well. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think a proposal from Laura Dern would make me kill my ex-wife, but I've never been there. So, that's true. I guess that's the kind of thing you learn from. And Alan Rickman's dead, so we can't ask him. <sighs> wow. One of life's little mysteries. Really I makes guess. that's a thinker right there. Yeah. If uh if 
<laughs> if Laura Dern proposes to you in the woods, but there's no one there to hear it, do you kill your ex-wife? <laughs> and that's this week's uh, challenge question. Yep, we've been doing that every week. You guys just don't remember. So, I guess this week we can boil all of our Dern, all of our learned from Derns down to one thing. Don't trust men. <laughs> but also don't trust Dern sometimes. I mean, yeah. Don't trust horny people. Yeah. There you go. Cut your dick off. Exactly. That's what we learned. That's what you got. I mean, we've done it. We did it right before we started recording. You do. You can't have a podcast if you're not a castrato. Took a few... Vo- vo- I almost said volium. Valium. And uh, here we are. Nice and chilled out. Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah. Oof. Va- yeah. Va- va- sounds, boom. I'm glad I didn't have to watch what you watched. Castratos. bad. It, uh, I'm excited for next week. Oh. Well, I actually, I only looked well, at how your... that for a segue? I only looked at your thing, and your thing looks fantastic. I did not look at mine. Mine is called Tenderness. It has Russell Crowe. It's about a family murder. Great. Can't wait to watch that. Tenderness. And you are watching The Good Time Girls, a short Western film about um, brothel workers turned female vigilantes, which sounds like a great time. It does. So I'm watching both things next week, but I'm I'm minorly excited. It'll be oh, better than this. So. It's from 2017. Makes me wonder if Dern's like a madam. I feel like she probably plays the mad, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. She plays Clementine. So do with that what you will. Yeah, this is a very recent turn. We have a 2017 on your end and a tw- 2009 on mine. It's funny looking at tenderness. Pardon I hear me. that title and I'm not expecting like what might be like a police procedural thriller with Russell Crowe. Skinny Russell Crowe back again. Yeah, look at him. He looks like... um. You know. We have Sophie Traub. Hmm. She looks familiar, but she's been in nothing. So. Ooh, Alia Shawkat's in it. In the Good Time Girls. Oh. Maybe from Arrested Development. Jason Biggs. Oh, yes. Love me some Biggs. Give me Uh... an excuse to talk about American Pie. (laughs) And to bring it all right back around. His eyebrows. Uh, Who's the eye? Oh. I forgot the quote, the quote that I have loved the most from all of Schitt's Creek. Granted, I've only watched two seasons now. Sure. Um, when Catherine O'Hare uh, nice. is talking about, like, she's talking about her young life and, like, decisions she's made. And she was describing when she met her now husband. She said, who's the eyebrows buying everyone's drinks? <laughs> and that just put such a tickle in my step. Calling that man the eyebrows. The eyebrows. He he has the strong. He his eyebrows must be insured. He has the strongest yeah, eyebrows in it's Hollywood. Basically, Groucho Marx. Yes, my word. Uh, I'd love to see a photo shoot with him and his son, both dressing as Groucho with like the grease paint mustaches and the cigars and stuff. That'd be so that does fun. Sound fun. Maybe his daughter too. Yeah, you the whole Twilight family. On the show yet? Yes, yes. Yeah. She's she's involved pretty strongly it is interesting that she plays the waitress and then they brought in someone else to play a sister in the family didn't Uh, quite make the cut that sister though um alexis alexis she's she's nice she's very pretty she's funny good for her we love a pretty funny yeah no it's a wonderful show if you haven't watched it for some reason what next watch it it's a wonderful life yeah you know what nick um 
Miracle on 34th Street. I want to live again. Death becomes her. Thing? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. <laughs> um, Alice's Restaurant. Anyway, we have yeah, to go. Happy and... Thanksgiving almost. Yeah, I mean, we... This will come out Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Don't see your family. No, uh, eat gobble gobble. Eat gobble gobble. Eat gobble gobble. Gobble as, gobble. As we sign off every week. <laughs> eat, eat gobble gobble. gobble. <laughs> eat, pray, gobble gobble. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.